Enjoy a tall, cool dude. What is this? What, what are we doing? What in God's name are we doing? What? Our lives. What, what kind of lives are these? We're like children. We're not men. No, we're not. We're not men. It's the nightcap. Are we going to be sitting here when we're 60 like two idiots? We should be having dinner with our sons when we're 60. We're pathetic. You know that? Yeah, like I don't know that I'm pathetic. On WGR Sports Radio 550. So then you asked yourselves, isn't there something more to life? Yes. Yeah, well, let me clue you in on something. There isn't. What's up, everybody? It's the Nightcap. My name is Joe DiBiase. Here on WGR. Got about a half a show tonight, 8.15, we are going to bring you live coverage of the Frozen Four. We'll have Denver versus UMass for you right here. One game going on currently, Providence and Minnesota Duluth, they are tied at one. Just getting going in the third period down at KeyBank Center. It's been a decent game so far, two goals disallowed in in the first period. I think they were both for having a foot in the crease. A lot of the national media making their jokes about that. We all know why. Local guys, too, making their jokes. They got it right. They reversed the calls, and it's 1-1 Providence and Minnesota Duluth in the third period. NHL playoffs getting going right now as well. Keep you updated on that throughout the night. In fact, that is what I got to be putting on the TV here real quick. Bruins and Leafs just getting going. National Anthem currently underway in Boston. That is a 7 o'clock puck drop if you're looking forward across NBC's uh, family of networks. They've been spreading the playoff games around. NBCSN is going to be Leafs-Bruins. 7.30 on USA, just under a half hour away. That's going to be the Capitals hosting the Hurricanes for Game 1 in that series. Just one late game tonight. you got the Avalanche uh, traveling to Calgary to play the Flames for Game 1 out west at 10 o'clock. And that'll be on NBCSN. Not really... uh, you know, I would have liked them to spread it out a little bit more. They did five games yesterday and three today. I would have liked to see another late game tonight. I'm a night owl myself, and I'm doing the show for usually at least the first half or the first first chunk of these early games. So I really like to take in those late games. You like to be able to flick around. I want no part of having to watch any intermission that NBC puts in front of me. So I like when you got multiple games going on at once. You're going to have that with the early games tonight, uh, but not with the late. Just going to have uh, Colorado and Calgary later on. I could probably sit here and do something similar to what I did last night. If you didn't listen last night, we did a lot on the Sabres coaching search and kind of what their alternative would be to the, the usual retread route, which would be Todd McClellan, who's really the only candidate still that has been connected to the Sabre gig. And he's in town right now, so that kind of helps along that reporting. Um, But we don't have anything new on that. Nobody really has anything new on that. It's just, hey, the Sabres uh, are talking to Todd McClellan. He's talking to the LA Kings as well. And we really don't have another guy out there that we know of that the Sabres are looking at. And I'd be really interested to know who that is. I'm okay with the idea of McClellan, but, you know, they could do better. And selfishly, 
I'd almost like them to not hire them, not to hire McClellan, because I'd like to get an idea for what else they're looking at, what else they're interested in, because we have no clue what they're going to do if Todd McClellan does not become the Sabre coach. Does anyone have an idea? I guess Aline Vigneault might be a name that would be the most prominent thing you could throw in front of me, but I hate that idea, and I haven't seen anything solid that connects those two at this point. So I almost want McClellan to go to the Kings. One, because, you know, I think I could do better, and two, I want to get I want to see what what they would go to next. I want to see what else they would be looking at. Would it really be just another retread guy, Elaine Vigneault? Uh, I, the the other names after that, it's a retread. Almost don't even sound realistic to me. Like I almost said, Randy Carlisle or Lindy Ruff, but I don't know who else you're getting to. So that might be it. Or do you do the risky thing? Do you do the innovative thing? Do you do what no team? in the rest of the league is willing to do, which is reach into the European pool. One of those Swedish coaches that we've talked about a lot about, Gronberg or Ronberg. Reach into college. The Minnesota Duluth coach, he's in action right now. Do something like that. Go for Knobloch, like a junior, a guy who made his dues in juniors. That would be different. And even and just because Housley failed and he was a first-time coach, I don't want to have to rule out another first-time coach just because Housley didn't work out. We kind of do this back-and-forth thing with the Bills and the Sabres, right? Where, especially with the Bills, they'll bring in... They'll have Chan Gailey, an offensive mind. And then they fire him, and what does everybody want to do? We want to do the opposite thing. We want a defensive coach. And if the defensive coach gets fired, then we want an offensive coach. We want to keep going like flip-flop. We want to go back and forth. If Sean McDermott went 1-15 this year, I assume that's not going to happen. But if this, the Bills went 1-15 this season and a lot of it was his doing and he was fired, I think a lot of us would want an offensive coach. The Sabres just had a first, before, before, before Housley. They had Bilesma, right? And what did everyone kind of want to do? They wanted to go the, the assistant route. That's who they looked at. Housley, I guess they never really looked at Rick Tockett, but he was in the, he was a, a candidate for the job. Jacques Martin, another assistant. Like, they were looking at assistant coach guys. And now, McClellan is a former, like, he's a head coach. He, this would be his third team as a head coach. And that is different from what Housley was. A first-timer. But, just because the last guy failed, I don't think that means you have to completely ignore other candidates that have similarities to him. And to me, I want to go with that international route, but I just I, I can't really see them doing it. Like I said, I could spend the entire show going over stuff like that that we did yesterday with the coaching search, but I got to be honest, the Sabres aren't giving us much right now in terms of this coaching search. There's not a lot of news on it. And I don't know that what what else are you supposed to say about it? If it just ride and dies with uh, Todd McClellan, well, that was a that was probably the least interesting coaching search in the history of Buffalo sports, probably. But you know that he's like I said, he's not my least favorite idea. So if you want to 
get any thoughts in on the coaching search, I'm willing to do that tonight uh, at 8030550. is the text line or at Sneaky Joe WGR. I want to start. I want to get into the NFL draft a little bit though, because it is two weeks from tonight, and it doesn't feel like it's that close. Last year, for months and months, we were building up to the draft around here. And in large part, that was because we knew they were picking a quarterback, and it was a historically deep quarterback class going into it. And that made for a very exciting draft season. Mayfield, Darnold, Allen, Rosen, Jackson kept going round and round and round and round. And every week it seemed like you'd have a different report tying the Bills to a different quarterback. One week it was, all right, they're in Oklahoma looking at Baker Mayfield. They're meeting with them. They might be interested. And then the next week it was, um, oh, they really like Sam Darnold. Like, he's their guy. And then the next week after that, there was there's reports. Oh, if they get a chance to draft Josh Allen, they're going to do that. This year, it's not nearly the same as that. For obvious reasons. They have Josh Allen, quarterback, set. And honestly... Even if they needed a quarterback, Kyler Murray seems to be the only interesting one in this draft anyway. Maybe Haskins goes first round. Um, this Daniel Jones kid the Patriots are looking at from Duke. Will Greer, a couple teams are looking at as maybe a backup. But it's not a very interesting quarterback class. So, it's kind of the first I'm really diving into it. I don't really have a super strong thought on what I want the Bills to do, but I'm really starting to warm up to the idea because we had, on the afternoon show today, um, his name's escaping me, Davis Davis Maddock from uh, Roto Experts. He did an article about tight ends in the first round of the draft. We had him on, Sal Capaccio on our website at WGR550.com, wrote about tight end at 9. I'm really starting to warm up to the idea of tight end at 9. And... It's kind of strange for me because generally I would say I don't like that idea of going with that position that high. To me, you have a top 10 pick. There's only a few positions you should really grab. Quarterback, pass rusher, defensive line, linebacker, wide receiver, tackle. I guess that's actually more than a few. That's a lot of positions. But... Like those are the, those are the, those are the the guys that like I would I really want to target in the first round cornerback too not first round like top ten of the first round like what are the positions you really don't generally want to touch that early running back guard even center fullback especially tight end safety and. Unless there's a guy that is like an elite, elite talent, those positions rarely get picked that early. Or at least they should rarely get picked that early. Running back, it seems to be frequent that someone gets drafted up that high, but it should be rare. Hawkinson, the way he sounds and the little bit I've seen of him, is a special talent. Not Noah Fant, but his teammate. TJ Hawkinson, the tight end from Iowa. And... The way he's described, the way even Maddock describes him, describes him, like that is the kind of idea that I can really start to buy into. Because a lot of the guys that are seeming to get a lot of the headlines in this draft are defensive linemen, pass rushers, and defensive tackles. Ed Oliver seems to be a very popular idea for the Bills in mock drafts, the Houston defensive tackle. 
And that's all well and good. And, like, fine, you need good pass rushers. We have a lot of bodies, I would say, on the edge. But do they really have, like, a, a elite pass rusher? I wouldn't say that. Jerry Hughes, I think, is very good. But he's in his 30s now. But he is definitely very good still. And then I don't really know what I'm getting from Trent Murphy and Shaq Lawson on a given game, whether they're even if they're healthy to begin with. Eddie Yarborough is just kind of a guy. The guy they just signed yesterday is just a guy. We're still waiting on a Ziggy Ansah thing. But even him, he's he's good, but that's not a star pass rusher. And I think you can you need that if you're gonna build a supreme defense. But They've got a lot of talent on the defensive side of the football. Everywhere. Safety. They're one of the most they're one of the best position one of the best teams in the league at safety. Cornerback. You have a, you solidified a number one corner. And you're you look pretty good actually behind Tredavis White at this point. At that position. Linebacker. Like I, I should be pretty good there. I got a great talent in Tremaine Edmonds. I'm hoping that continues to develop. I still got Lorenzo Alexander. Uh, Matt Milano looks really nice. Hopefully he comes back off his ACL injury and was what he was before. I've got talent on the defensive line, even though I wouldn't say I have like a like a stud, but I have a bunch of really good guys on the defensive line. I've got a defensive coach. If Sean McDermott really is this great defensive mind, then he shouldn't really need, I don't think he should need star talent at every single position. On that side of the football. Especially when on the offensive side of the football right now. Like you got nobody on that side that people around the league. Anyone. A GM. A fan. A broadcaster. A reporter. Anybody across the league. Looks at on your offense and says yeah he's one of the best in the league at that. At, at that. You have some nice players. Robert Foster's nice. Deion Dawkins is nice. Even Josh Allen. Really nice. But. You're kidding yourself if you think anyone around the league respects this offense. Even now. They're going to be improved. They should hopefully be middle of the road with the talent they got. But you've got... Unless Allen explodes, which could happen, but unless that happens, you've got a lot of B guys around him. That includes what they have at wide receiver. That includes what they have um, at running back. I don't. I almost don't even. That would be offensive line too. I might even want to downgrade them to like some C pluses. Like I think Dawkins is a B, but past that, I don't really know what I'm getting at this point. I'm hoping that a guy like Ty Seke is good. I'm hoping that I'm going to be set at guard with Warren Spain. I'm hoping for that, but I don't have some stout offensive line yet. You don't have an elite talent on offense at this moment at any position. Hopeful at quarterback. I guess there's a chance that that's, that's going to pan out there, that Josh Allen is an elite. But no other position on my offense, I think, can I expect anybody to give me that sort of, like, like an all-pro level of play. And this Hawkinson kid, the way he sounds, the way you read about him, the way that you just watch even his highlights, let alone his film, like you see it. He's got that it factor. And even though it's at tight end, that's an idea I'm really starting to warm up to. You don't have that talent level at any other position on your offense. You don't have any of your skilled positions. 
he would step in and probably be your most talented skilled position guy. So I'm really warming up to tight end at nine. Here is Davis Maddock from earlier today. This is on uh, this is on TJ Hawkinson. My first mock draft, I actually had Hawkinson at fourth overall to the Raiders, and I don't even think that would be a super reach. He is one of the best blockers I have ever seen at the tight end position. He's really like a third tackle. If you want to look at his production at Iowa, it was I mean it was better than George Kittle. It was about what Travis Kelsey did in college when he was at Cincinnati, but he he looks like a wide receiver with the ball in his hands. You know, if Buffalo took Hawkinson at nine, I I would not be saying that that was a reach. Part of that, too, is when I listen to it and you hear as good as Travis Kelsey, better than George Kittle in college, and if I can get him to go, to come along the same development track as those guys have in the league, then I should have no problem turning him into a star player. should have no problem with that. And the only thing that is holding me back a bit at this point is when you look at what happens when you draft tight ends high historically, especially in recent memory. The Lions did it twice, and it failed both times. Brandon Pettigrew, who was just a blocking tight end and didn't really become anything other than that. Then Eric Ebron, who, to be honest, had his best season last year once he got to the Colts. But he's a very one-dimensional tight end. Like He's not going to stay in in a, in a normal set and block for you. He's actually more of like a big slot receiver. At this point, he's really good, I think, for the Colts especially, but the Lions definitely regret that pick. I got those two guys. O.J. Howard was was recent, and he's pretty good, but is he an elite tight end? No, not right now at least, in Tampa Bay. So I that's, that's the one holdup I have with the idea of drafting Hawkinson, the Iowa tight end at nine, is... The last few teams that have done that have regretted it. But like I gotta start I gotta start putting some great talent around Allen. Not good talent. I need to start putting some great talent around him too. And I don't think this is a year to do that at wide receiver. Metcalf is a super risk. I want no part of that at nine. There isn't another receiver that's even worth that consideration there. I'm not drafting a running back that high. At least I hope they're not drafting a running back that high. Luckily, this year doesn't even seem like it's a year where there is a running back that's even in consideration that early anyway. So I'm not doing that. I'm not doing guard or center. I just signed Mitch Morris. So I'm definitely not doing center. So to me, you do you do tight end or you do offensive tackle. Like Those are my top two ideas at this point because i got to start putting star-level talent around Josh Allen and not just good. Like, they they did need to do that. They had bad talent around him last year for the most part, and they went out and they added some good talent. They upgraded on the offensive line. John Brown is good. Cole Beasley is good. Tyler Croft should be good. Mitch Morris is really good. That might be the one guy in all of this that might be the great talent you're looking for, but I need to do that at more positions than just center. And... This ninth overall pick will be an opportunity to do that, at least for the tight end position with TJ Hawkinson, assuming he wouldn't get picked before nine, which, like you heard Davis Maddox say there, is there's a possibility, even the Raiders at four. Oh, that just, that seems, it could happen. So I either want them to do that, or I'm, 
I'm still liking the idea of offensive tackle. Because that is another piece around Josh Allen that needs to be upgraded at this point. Because I need to start getting some great talent, not just good talent, around Josh Allen. If he himself is going to be great and not just good. 803 is the phone number. It's your favorite idea for the Bills at 9. I'm starting to warm up to tight end. I think I'd have to put that at the top of my list at the moment. Although you never know. I could change on a whim. So maybe I might come back from the break and want... Maybe I want DJ Metcalf. That's not going to happen. I'm definitely not going to want DJ Metcalf. One game in action right now in the NHL playoffs. The Bruins and Leafs are scoreless in the first period. We'll continue to keep you updated on the NHL playoffs. We've got Capitals and Hurricanes who are about 5 to 10 minutes away from puck drop in D.C. NHL playoff scoring update brought to you by Fiegel and Carr, your border attorneys. A little bit more on the NFL draft and some hockey. Got to give you something on the coach search because that is the next thing that's going to happen here. Ken Campbell, Hockey News. He was on with the morning show. We'll play that back uh, before we get out of here tonight. We got college hockey, Frozen Four, Denver, and UMass coming up at 8.15. Puck drop for that game is actually at 8.30, but we're going to bring you coverage a few minutes early. And quickly, the score on the game in action right now. Minnesota Duluth has taken a 2-1 lead on Providence down at the arena, and there is just over seven minutes to go in the third period. Back with more. It's the Nightcap. Jody Biasi here on WGR. one of the best 10 players in this draft. I know that they've not had the greatest success drafting tight ends early, Pettigrew and Eric Ebron. You don't often find guys coming out of college that can block in line and you can flex them out and can be as successful blocking as they are running routes and creating after the catch. I just I think he's one of the more complete football players in this draft and I just don't think you can go wrong with, with Hawkinson. Todd McShay of ESPN on a conference call this week talking TJ Hawkinson, who has become my favorite idea for the Bills at 9 to this point. Check out Sal Capaccio's piece on that at WGR550.com. The NFL Draft Round 1 is two weeks from tonight. Day 1 will be that Thursday, and then Rounds 2 and 3 will be that Friday, and the rest of the draft on Saturday. We're getting close. It might be fast approaching, maybe quicker than you think, because we haven't really been talking about it as much, especially compared to last season. Um, 803 is the phone number. Let's go to Tom and Clarence right at the start of the segment here. Tom, you're on the nightcap. What's up, man? Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. What's up? Uh, I really like the idea of Hawkinson. I definitely agree there. I think he's going to be uh, hes just a rare kind of player with his blocking ability and receiving ability. You don't really see that coming out of college much these days with the spread offenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Montez Sweat out of Mississippi State were to fall, I'd really like him, the defensive end. Yeah. Uh, I think Andre Dillard, the offensive tackle, he would be a great option. It's going to be interesting to see how many quarterbacks people trade up for. I don't think any of them are really worth it. Personally, yeah, that kind of stinks for the Bills' part. The fact that there aren't a lot of quarterbacks that seem seemingly worth that, because um, it doesn't sound like there's any sort of momentum that Miami or Washington or really anybody past the Bills would want to trade up to nine to get somebody. So, 
I think they're probably going to pick ninth. But maybe there's a trade. I, I think it's a little unlikely at this point. Um, you mentioned a couple name, names of different positions there, and that's kind of like I think where we're at with it, right? I mean, they could do one of a number of things. I think defensive line's on the board for them. I think tight end is on the board for them. And I think offensive tackle is on the board. I can't see them drafting Metcalf. Even though there's a picture, I know, of him on Twitter in a Bills shirt, and he was here, but... Man, it's hard for me to see that happening. I think that's maybe a realistic idea if you do end up trading down. But you take him ninth. That is tough. That's tough. You want to talk about recent history looking at wide receivers that were drafted in the first round. It's a bad, bad list. Guys that were drafted. Not even like, it doesn't matter if they were high or not. Like Anyone in the first round that's a receiver lately. Not that great. So this past year, you had Calvin Ridley and DJ Moore. All right. They both had pretty good rookie seasons. I don't think either one's going to be some elite player. But they're all right. Corey Davis, he's coming along. He's not that good. Fifth overall. He's definitely not fifth overall good for Tennessee. Uh, Mike Williams and John Ross. Williams had a decent year last year, but he's had injury issues. He was the seventh pick. Not worth that pick yet. John Ross has been a complete bust with the Bengals to this point. He's actually, there are trade rumors about him in the offseason. I guess that could still happen. Um, the year before that, Corey Coleman, we know about him. 15th overall, that's brutal. Will Fuller is good. Will Fuller's like the one name on this list that's worth his pick. 21, 21st overall in 2016. He's good. He has injury issues, but 21st, he was worth that. Uh, that was three receivers in a row that year. Doxon from Washington went 22nd. Hasn't done a lot in the league. Laquan Treadwell's been an utter bust. He was 23rd that year. 2015, the year before that, I'm still going. These are still bad receiver classes. Man, that was the year. One, two, three, four, five, six receivers went in round one. And one of them, one of them is still on their original team. Two of them, sorry. Two are on their original team. You could probably only say, though, that one is actually good. Amari Cooper went fourth overall, and he's had an up-and-down career, but he's pretty good. Fourth overall good? No. Kevin White at seven? Disaster. Devontae Parker for the Dolphins at 14? Terrible. Nelson Aguilar at 20? All right, he's he's okay. I can stomach that. Brashard Perriman at 26? He was terrible in Baltimore. Philip Dorsett at 29? Terrible in Indianapolis. They traded him for a backup quarterback. So that is 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. Every receiver drafted but two. And that's about 15 receivers. Every team that's done that, except for probably two of them, have regretted that pick to this point. Maybe three. Aguilar... You probably don't regret that if you're the Eagles, 20th overall, and Will Fuller, 21st for the Texans. I think every other team can say they kind of regret that pick. So that's, and even if even if that's a little off there, which it probably is, but even if that's a little off, the point remains the same, that it is a crapshoot lately drafting receivers early. And Metcalf sounds like a crapshoot. He might be amazing. He also might be terrible. 
he didn't have a lot of college production. What worries me is the fact that the Bills drafted Josh Allen in that respect. Now, that might work out for them, and it looks like it's going to, but you can't always do that, where you draft the guy with all the physical traits and all the physical ability that didn't put it together while he was in college because that's not often going to work for you. It will work once in a while. Hopefully it works with Allen, but that's not that often going to work for you. You're going to get your John Rosses, who was basically drafted ninth overall because he set a record with a 40-yard dash. And the Bengals ignored the fact that he really all together was not a very balanced receiver prospect. He's a guy that ran straight. That's about it. And even when he ran straight and got open, his hands are super inconsistent. So, like, let's not do that. Let's not do that. The tight end idea is just a way better idea to me because Hawkinson has not a ton of college production. If you look at his stats, like last year was a really good year for him. He only had one other year at Iowa where he was kind of a backup. Like, he was okay. 350 yards receiving. It's not great. So, at least there's some production there. There's not a ton. But at least I'm getting a little bit. And the receivers, to me, there's not nearly as much. Metcalf, for what he is, should have had double the yardage he did, double the receptions, double the touchdowns that he had in his career at Ole Miss. So I'd be super worried if my team did that. Super worried. 803 is the phone number. If you want to get your last thoughts in on the draft, I want to switch back to hockey when we come back. Uh, quick scoring update on the NHL playoffs. There is only one game. Actually, there should be two games in action right now. It's 740. Capitals. Just about to get underway. Capitals and Hurricanes are just about to drop the puck. Meanwhile, in Boston, we got the evil goal horn getting played. The most evil sound in all of sports is the Boston Bruins goal horn, and they're up one to nothing on a goal by Patrice Bergeron. NHL playoff scoring update brought to you by Fiegel and Carr, your border attorneys. We will come back. We'll play a little bit of Ken Campbell for you, the hockey news on the Sabres coaching search and what they're looking at upcoming in the offseason. He was on with Howard and Jeremy. We'll play that back when we return. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Got another goal in the NHL playoffs. Mitch Marner and the Leafs have tied it at one. 30 seconds left, actually less than that in the first period. Hurricanes and Capitals are underway. If you're looking for that on TV, it's on USA. Um, you can listen to me while you're watching. It's a good way to do it. NBCSN for the Bruins and the Leafs, although they are just now going to intermission. Got a nice little scrum at the end of this one. Uh, meanwhile, the Sabres, not part of the fun. Of course, we know that. And they're looking for a new head coach and Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News had some good ideas, I thought, for what the Sabres should do with that. He was on with Howard and Jeremy yesterday, and not just on the coaching uh, searches, but uh, on the offseason as a whole for the Sabres upcoming. Here is Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News from yesterday. All right, on our Western Hotline is uh, Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News. We're going to double dip with Ryan. We're going to talk a little bit about the Frozen Four and some of the prospects in town here and talk coach search because the Sabres are obviously out there looking for somebody. Ryan, it's Howard and Jeremy here in Buffalo. Good morning. How are you? 
pretty good. Thanks for having me. Hey, Ryan. So the four teams that are in town, I, you know, I was reading your preview column. I think, I guess one thing that is notable is some of the big names that are not here in the Frozen Four, some of the big name programs. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting year. I mean, Michigan didn't even make the round of 16, neither did Minnesota, neither did North Dakota. But I will say that there's been some upstart programs in the past couple of years that have started churning out some pretty good talent, and they they made it. You know, you talk about UMass and you look at Minnesota Duluth. These are uh, teams, particularly with Duluth, you know, that, that won it all last year, that uh, are going to be known more as household names in the coming years, whereas UMass, they really came on the radar basically this year with mm-hmm. Kale McCarr. Um, but, yeah, those, those traditional names, they're going to have to uh, get back on the recruiting trail and uh, bolster their lineups. You mentioned Kale McCarr. So for fans who are either going to the games, of course they're on TV as well, who are the top NHL prospects uh, that are going to be performing on uh, on Thursday at KeyBank Center? Yeah, so Kale McCarr is number one of the bullet, and he could be the Hobie Baker winner as college hockey's best player. Colorado Avalanche pick. He actually has already had some pretty nice success in Buffalo because he won a gold medal with Canada at the World Juniors uh, when the tournament was last there. This is just a dynamic defenseman, you know, sort of a one-man breakout, great rushing the puck. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because UMass, they have a couple of other defensemen that are are, are pretty good as well. Mario Ferraro is a San Jose Sharks pick, and uh, he can lug the puck up the ice pretty well as well. And then Mark Delgaizo, who's Lacar's partner, uh, he was passed over in the draft before, but is still eligible this year. I believe he will get selected this time based on the strength of his freshman season with the Minutemen. Uh, Sticking with defensemen, uh, you go to Minnesota Duluth, and that was their strength last year when they won it all, and that's going to be a strength again this year. you got Scott Perunovich, the St. Louis Blues pick. Again, a guy that can bring you offense from the blue line. He was fantastic last year and uh, you know, very good again, although he, he was injured early in the season. And then Dylan Sandberg with the Winnipeg Jets. He's a big, more of an old-school defenseman, really nasty to play against. So he'll be one to watch. And then you go to Denver, and I would say, you know, probably the most interesting player to watch is Matthias Emilio Pedersen, a Calgary Flames pick. Um, not the biggest guy in the world, but very dynamic, and uh, it'll be fun to see what he can do on that big stage. And then they have a very good goaltender in Philip Larson. He's a Detroit pick. He's a freshman, and again, he was hurt to begin the year, but he's been lights out since. And then if you go over to Providence, uh, I believe you guys were actually speaking to Jacob. Jacob, Bryson yeah. I was going to ask you about him specifically because of him being a Sabres prospect, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, and I feel like a broken record, but defense, they're very good uh, on the Friars. Bryson, a fantastic skater. Uh, and then you got uh, shutdown guys like Vincent Desarnay, who's an Edmonton Oilers pick, and Michael Callahan with Arizona. And then up front, Jack Dugan, the Vegas pick, uh, very impressive freshman, great size. He was a bit of a late bloomer, um, but you know, as a freshman with Providence, he really showed that he can hang with the best. Ryan, are there are there guys in the tournament that have not been drafted that could still find their way into the league that are, are considered really good prospects? I would say that Mark Delgaizo is the best candidate. 
when it comes to that category. He uh, he put up really good numbers in the USHL, but for whatever reason, you know, I I don't think he's the necessarily the biggest defenseman out there, but the fact that he's been able to put up points as a freshman at UMass mm-hmm. and the fact that he has played so well with Makar, uh, I think will really help him in that regard. And, you know, I, I kind of look at it as you know, when, when Jake Muzzin was in Los Angeles with Drew Doughty, it's like we knew Drew Doughty was the big offensive guy, but Muzzin could rush the puck too. And the, the key was they knew which one of them would be going at what time, so they would never get stuck with you know two defensemen up the ice. It's kind of similar with Makar and Delgaizo, where Delgaizo can do that, um, but they know how to play off each other. And I think that's a pretty that's a pretty good skill. So I, I would say Delgaizo is the guy to watch in, in that in that factor. Hey, Ryan, quick uh, coaching question before we let you go. So the news is coming out. It looks like Todd McCullen's going to take the Kings job, and the Sabres were, were talking to him about the job here. Uh, you know, Sabre fans are, are already tweeting in, like, is this a, a, a loss, anything we should be worrying about? What are your thoughts about McClellan not coming here and going to L.A.? Well, I think that he would have been a very good option in Buffalo. Um, I'm the sort of person that likes to see new blood but having said that, with the Sabres right now, I think they need a more experienced hand because they went with a new guy in Phil Housley. You know, Housley had never been a head coach in the NHL before he took the Buffalo job. And, you know, I mean, you, you give it a try. And I, I know they couldn't bring him back for a third year. The, the optics wouldn't have been very good. But I, I think at this point, you have to look at somebody veteran who – can take that young roster, at least that young core, and put them on a stable path. And I don't know if that's Elaine Vigneault, uh, if it's somebody else. I, I know the old names are kind of boring, but that might be the best thing at this point. Now, if they want to be a little more risky and a little more uh, high-feeling, I would love to see like Scott Sandlin, who is the current coach of Minnesota Duluth, in the NCAA, I'd love to see him get a shot because he's been really great for that program. And even Ricard Gronborg from Sweden, he, you know, it's been a long time since we've had a, a European head coach in the NHL, and this is a guy who has paid his dues, and he does know the North American game. He actually played some college hockey uh, with St. Cloud. So that would be another option for me if they're, if Jason Botterill is, is willing to you know, go a little outside the box. I was wondering, you know, you, you know, I was um, thinking about the college guys. You mentioned Minis- the guy at Minnesota Duluth. Dave Hackstall gets the job in Philly, ends up getting fired. Jim Montgomery goes to Dallas there in the playoffs. So uh, maybe it's a wash. But how do do you think any of this would um, impact what NHL teams are thinking about bringing in a guy from the co- David Quinn's in New York, uh, bringing in a guy from the college ranks this year? Well, I, I'm not sure how much of an impact it would have because this this trend, this kind of mini trend of college coaches getting hired is, is pretty new. As you mentioned mm-hmm. with David Quinn, it's only been one year with the Rangers, and they knew that they were rebuilding. There was no expectations of playoffs in New York. Far from it. It was actually better <laughs> that they didn't do well because now they're going to be picking second mm-hmm. overall, and they'll have a crack at, at Cat Uh And then Jim Montgomery, you know, in Dallas, he got them back into the playoffs. So, you know, Mission accomplished there. We'll see how they fare once they're actually uh, into that series. But I, I think, you know, with Haxtell 
getting the axe. Obviously, that, that doesn't help perceptions of college coaches, but at the same time, I, I don't think we're at a point yet where we can say, okay, that route doesn't work for NHL head coaches right now because it, it might be a little too early to gauge based on the other two guys. Ryan Kennedy, Hockey News with us. Uh, follow him on Twitter, at THN Ryan Kennedy. little Frozen Four preview, little coach talk as well. Thanks for coming on with us, Ryan. Appreciate the insight on the show this morning, and uh, you have yourself a nice day. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. You bet. Our pleasure. There is Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News. I thought really good stuff on the coaching stuff at the end there. Um, Jim Montgomery's in Dallas right now. The college coaches, kind of their track record affecting whether future college coaches will get gigs. Um, I'm ready for the Sabres to do that. I'd be in, for sure. I still love the European idea. The Gronberg idea is every moment that passes, I think I like it more and more. Because it is... Like you're sticking your neck out if you do that, I think. You should you shouldn't be sticking your neck out, but that's the way the game is. There hasn't been a European coach in 20 years. And this is like this is the candidate for that. Like if you were going to bet or set odds on who the who the next or who's going to break that drought of European head coaches, Gronberg, the Swedish coach right now, Swedish national coach is definitely the guy. So I would love to see the Sabres team be the team that did that. No scoring update for you in either Toronto, either in Boston or in D.C. We got the Hurricanes and Capitals. The Capitals don't even have a shot on goal, and we're about 10 minutes in. And the other game's in intermission, so we'll keep you updated on that throughout the night. 15 more minutes to go before we get to you to the Frozen Four. Denver versus UMass coming up at 8.15 here on WGR. WGR. Uh, give me the offensive lineman for the Packers who was last introduced during pregame introductions. Kramer. Not as incorrect. That's a good guess, Kramer, because, you know, he was on that line. So it's not Kramer, and it's not Forrest Gregg, and it's not Thurston. So there's only a couple more. Time to relax and rewind. Rick, the final Packer offensive lineman announced during pregame introductions in Super Bowl One. Howard Simon. No, it's not him. There's only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's, that's it. One more. It's not Kramer. It is not Bill Curry. It is not... Howard Simon. Um, Forrest Gregg. No, I said it's not Forrest, damn it! It's not Forrest Gregg. It is not Kramer. It it's is the not... best of WGR. This is the garbage you give me? Zach, who's the lineman? And I'm going to say Bill Curry? No, I just said it was about Curry, David! The Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. Yay! Yay! There's that. It's the Nightcap. Got about 10 minutes here on WGR. We're going to get you to some Frozen 4 action in just a little bit. Denver UMass is not going to start till roughly 845 because the previous game went late. But we'll still have coverage for you starting at 8.15. So Minnesota Duluth beat Providence 4-1. to They will head to the national championship, which is Saturday night, which means Jacob Bryson, uh, Sabre prospect, has been eliminated. He was the only Sabre prospect in the tournament, I think. So... There goes all your uh, Sabre connections. Providence also had uh, Ron Rolston. So, Ron Rolston, out. Former Sabre head coach. He's now an assistant coach 
at Providence, and that's all about that's about all I could tell you on the Frozen Four, to be honest. Crowd looked pretty nice. Gotta be honest. For a Thursday at five and for how insanely high I thought the ticket prices were for that. I mean, think about it. You're a father, you wanna take couple kid you want to take your kids to two kids. Say you want to take your two sons to the Frozen Four. It's costing you about four hundred bucks. I thought that was ridiculous. But despite that, and despite that the first game was at five o'clock on a Thursday, uh the crowd seemed pretty solid. Not gonna lie, it looked pretty solid. I didn't see much of what the upper bowl looked like, but the lower bowl looked pretty full, so there's that. Um the playoffs are going on right now. The Capitals have scored. They are up one to nothing. Oh wait, I can't. I can't announce a goal and not have the goal horn. Here we go, Washington Capitals. One of the better goal horns in the league. It's unique. Nicholas Backstrom roofs one over Peter Mrazek. Nicholas Backstrom just keeps rolling along. Continuing to be a great player in the league that no one ever realizes how great he is. NHL playoff scoring update brought to you by Fiegel and Carr, your border attorneys. Nicholas Backstrom has not played a full season and had less than 60 points since 2010-11. And only twice in his career has he played a full season and not got to 70 points. In the two years he didn't, 65 and 69. 69 was his rookie year. 101 points in 2010, 86 points in 2017. This year, Nicholas Backstrom had 74 points, 22 goals, 52 assists. And just he just lives in Alex Ovechkin's shadow. Him and Malkin, two of the underappreciated players in this league because Crosby and Ovechkin just, I mean, the marketing around them, like they were the only two stars in the league. And I think that's how it should be. I'm not really complaining about this, but it's just kind of the way it is. That Backstrom and Malkin kind of Mal- Malkin to a, or yeah, Malkin to a lesser extent, but Backstrom kind of fell into Ovechkin's shadow, and and he just scored again. Another goal for Nicholas Backstrom. That's two, and now it's two nothing Capitals over the Carolina Hurricanes. Serves them right, those Hurricanes. I'll never get over it. Never. Um. All right. So there's that. If you uh, have been enjoying the NHL playoffs, like I have, you probably saw Columbus and Tampa last night. I was stunned by that result. Did not see that coming. Did anybody see that coming? It was three nothing in the first period, and it's like I was even sitting right here on air. I'm like, this is gonna be a slaughter. It's three nothing in the first. Tampa's the best team we've seen in 20 years. They're about to roll the Blue Jackets. And the Blue Jackets storm back to win 4-3. They, I, I said it all along. They have talent. They're just not nearly as talented as Tampa. But Bobrovsky showed up last night. That was the one. That's their one path, I thought, to them winning. Because they have decent talent. Not enough to match up with Tampa blow for blow. But you got your goals from Seth Jones. And Duchesne played well. And Nick Foligno had a great breakaway goal. But you need, if Columbus has any chance to win, even though they're 50-50 at this point because they're up a game, Bobrovsky has got to stand on his head in at least two, three games, I think. Or you don't got a chance. He's capable of that. He's just never done it in the playoffs. 
be fitting that if his on his way out of Columbus, he gave them that series. So that could happen. Did you see John Tortorella before the game? The pregame speech? If you didn't, here it is. John Tortorella pregame before uh, Lightning and Blue Jackets last night. Skills, forget about X's and O's. It's a mindset of believing. It's amazing what can happen. So you stand in there. You stand in there and you don't take a backward step. Not for a second. It's a great opportunity to stand right face to face with him and go right to him. There is no one taking a back step here. Alright, let's be ready to Alright, who's ready to run through a wall? I am. Torts. I made fun of that dude. I hated the idea of him being the coach of any team in the NHL just because he was so old school and it seemed like dictator-like. But man, he's come around. Like, he's done a good job. The Blue Jackets have four playoff appearances in their history and Tortorella's made it three years in a row. All three years he's been there. I think. Maybe he was there for one year before that where they uh, maybe came in midway through and they didn't make it. But three years in a row he's made it. Um... He's 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 be he's growing on me. When he was announced as the coach, like I'm a big USA hockey guy. Every tournament they're in, I'm all in on that. And they're like another team for me. Like I will get on them and I'll get mad about decisions they make. I'll criticize them for decisions they make. And one of those that I remember being pretty upset about was the World Cup of Hockey in 2016. And I was going to that, so I wanted the US to put on like put out a good team. And they made John Tortorella their head coach. And it was Dean Lombardi, their GM, the former Kings GM, who was just brutal at the end in L.A. And he announced Tortorella as, as the head coach of Team USA. And I just had in my hands, I'm like, oh, this country's never, like, USA Hockey's just never going to get it together. Ever. The grinder mentality, the, hey, we can't beat ta- Canada talent for talent, so we're going to bring in a bunch of third-line grinders. We're going to put Justin Adlocator on the team instead of Phil Kessel. Decisions like that. Brandon Dubinsky is going to make the team because he plays well against Sidney Crosby, even though statistically it's completely un- completely untrue. And at that time, Tortorella just sounded like, like a coach. No team I'm rooting for I ever want to have him coaching. And now, like, give him credit. I was definitely wrong about that because he showed up with Columbus. I thought that was going to go poorly for Columbus, and this is the best stretch they've had in franchise history. It's probably going to end after this year because they're probably going to lose Panarin, and they're probably going to lose Bobrovsky, and they're probably going to lose Matt Duchesne, which is three of their best five players. But it was a nice little run. It was a nice little run. Maybe they'll keep one or two of them. I can't see them keeping... uh, Really, I can't really see them keeping Panarin or Bobrovsky. I I can't. Maybe Panarin, Bobrovsky, no way. The reports around him out there. I wonder what. Dude, I want to get into this a little bit as the offseason progresses. It's not really a realistic idea, I think, for the Sabres, but like, what does Bobrovsky sound like for the Sabres? Because it goes against everything I believe in how to build a hockey team is paying a goalie that amount of money that Bobrovsky would take. Right? But, on the other hand, I'm so sick of this team missing the playoffs. I'm so sick of this team being in the bottom of the league. And if you just plugged in 
one of the best goalies in the world on the Sabres. Like, if Bobrovsky's on the Sabres next year, they're a playoff contender almost no doubt. And I hate the idea for what it does to your cap and what it does to how you build your team. But like I said, aren't we just sick and tired of not being even contention? And that would be that. Anyways, we have more time to discuss that throughout the offseason. It's probably a terrible idea anyway. Enjoy the playoffs. Enjoy the Frozen Four. We got Denver versus UMass coming up next. Stay tuned. Right here, it's the Nightcap on WGR.